Well, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, um, just kind of verse by verse, as a church for a while now. We took a break for about six months, and we're back into it now. And uh, I hope you've been enjoying it. I really love it. And uh, we're going to start today by doing something a little bit different. Um, I want to start today, put a slide up there, for, and, and I didn't design this slide. Somebody who's much more creative than me, and much happier, I think, created this slide. And it says this, it is more fun to be happy than mad. Now, you can say that with me, right? Ready? It is more fun to be happy than mad. This is something the Apostle Paul is going to deal with in our, in our text today. Matter of fact, um, that is a, uh, that's something that you should have, that idea at least, written down and posted somewhere in your life. It is more fun to be happy than mad. And understand this, the Lord, and I, I'm cautious when I say this, the Lord wants you to be happy. I should say this, the Lord wants you to be joyful. And he wants you to have a positive attitude and spirit about yourself because of his goodness and reality in your life. doesn't mean life's supposed to be easy. But the reality of this is what the Apostle Paul is going to be getting at today, that it is more fun to be happy than to be mad. Matter of fact, I have a post-it note, the reason that's written like that, I have a post-it note on my desk that says exactly that. It's just written. It reminds me of something. It reminds me when I tend towards getting unhappy, I tend towards getting angry about things, that life is a whole lot better when I'm happy than when I'm mad. And that sometimes the fact is it's just a choice that we make. Now, do you believe this to be true? It's more life, it's more fun to be happy than to be mad. Well, it really is. Um, and it seems that humanity, though, thrives on being angry. It really is, you know, our culture thrives on being angry. Angry people tend to get their way. You know, my, my mom's dad was a, a first-generation German, alcoholic, mean person. Um, matter of fact, I, I've told you this before, and I say this with no joy. I've, I performed his funeral. It was the saddest funeral I ever went to because there was not an unhappy person in the place. Matter of fact, they're like, oh, finally Larry is dead. And that was the, that was the thing. And he used to have a saying, if you can't be light, right, be loud. And what it was, basically, he lived by anger. He would win by being loud. And he was just an, an angry man. And, and it tends to be true that angry people tend to get their way. Other people kind of back off. Angry people tend to feel empowered, even though they're really not, but they tend to feel empowered because they use anger as a tool. We live in a very angry world. Look at our, our political mess that's going on right now with our election coming up. If you want to use one word to define the whole thing, you use the word anger. There's a bunch of angry people yelling at each other all the time. Well, it's my hope that by the end of our time together today, that we will take an honest look at our own lives, we'll evaluate our own anger, and we're going to feel a bit more empowered to deal with our anger property, properly. Why? Because it's more fun to be happy than mad. So let's get to our text and spend some time digging into this topic of anger today. Grab your Bible, Ephesians chapter 4. I think I've made a joke about you before. I've been in 4 for so long that my Bible just literally falls open to chapter 4 of Ephesians. And we're almost out of chapter 4. But Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Say this. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Now, let's 
in order to put this in context, let's remember what's going on here in the, in the letter that Paul has written to the Ephesians. Paul has just begun to write about what genuine heart transformation will result in. The whole preceding area of the book, he's writing about how your heart should be changed from the inside, and if your heart is changed through Christ, through this transformation of the Holy Spirit, that it will result in external changes. That if we partner with the Holy Spirit in an ongoing process of heart transformation, that we will see very real and very practical life transformation. Now, a couple weeks ago when we dealt with this, we looked at how this spiritual internal transformation will result in how a change in how we talk. Remember we talked about it? It'll, it'll, talk, it'll, it'll result in a change of our speech. Matter of fact, a bunch of you have said to me since that point, well, I would give you this answer, Pastor Mark, but I'm not supposed to lie. And so therefore, I'll tell you the truth. That heart transformation leads to a change even in how we talk that we will go from using our speech for the negative to using it for the positive, extending grace to people with our words, speaking the truth in love, and through that we will reflect the goodness of God. And as we looked at that topic, we ended in a certain way. I don't know if you remember, it was two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, we ended by singing a prayer. Remember that? Dragged an old chorus out from the archives kind of and uh, pastor mitch if you could come we're, we're going to do the same thing we ended by singing a prayer and we sang what we call the song of transformation as a prayer saying we want to open up our hearts and invite god to bring transformation into our lives to change our hearts and make us more like him so today i want to begin um like we ended that sunday so you can stay seated You don't have to stand or anything if you don't want. But let's sing as a prayer. It might feel awkward to you. But what we're doing is we're we're declaring to the Lord what we want, that we want to be changed. We're going to sing this transformation song as a way of opening up our hearts to what God is wanting to do as we look at the very important topic of anger. Because over this last number of years, as we've dealt especially with the Trek program and, and life skills before that, and as we've dealt with the Good and Beautiful God series, what we found in people's lives when they're honest is one of the main issues that we deal with is anger. And we hide it all kinds of ways, and it comes out in all kinds of different ways, but we find that anger really is a big deal. That the main thing when I have husbands and wives who are struggling is, they're just angry angry responses to each other. And so anger is a big deal. So we're going to sing this song together as a prayer. Let's sing it through just two times, a couple times through. So Pastor Mitch, lead us in this song. I think the words will be up here. Change my heart, oh God, make it ever true, change my heart, oh God, may I be That's our prayer today. Father, we pray, O Lord, that you would open up our hearts to transformation, that you would open up our hearts to um, allowing you 
through your word and through your presence and through the church to challenge us, to help us, to equip us so that, Lord, we could be transformed in Christ-likeness. That truly on the inside we would change so that we, we feel like Jesus. Meaning, Lord, that our hearts and our, our emotions would actually be like Jesus's. That we would actually love instead of hate. We'd actually love instead of being angry. And that, Lord, as that transformation takes place, we wouldn't have to fake kind of this Christian lifestyle that so many times we do. We say, I ought to be this way, but I'm not, so I'll pretend, and we get frustrated. So Lord, I pray for deep down eternal and internal transformation so that we become like you on the inside, different, and that Lord would then bubble up out of us to the outside. And so Lord, help us today as we look at anger to bring transformation deep inside so that, Lord, it would be different in our very expression of what we think and how we act. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. What did Paul say? Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. So we come here and going through the section of Ephesians to the second area after speech where Paul focuses his attention on, um, on something and challenges us into this life of transformation. He focuses his area, his focus on anger. Now, what that tells me is that obviously anger was just as big of a deal back then as it is now. The first thing he dealt with was how we talk. The second thing he dealt with is getting angry. That it's just as real today as it was then that people get angry and bad stuff happens. And Paul wants us to understand that we can be different. That as Christians, we can be different. We don't have to be ruled by anger. We can learn to handle anger in a positive way. Now, let's start by looking at just the first two words that the Apostle Paul wrote here. Look what he says here. Words that I think for some people in this room are shocking. Matter of fact, I don't think as we read them, you actually even hear them the way they're written because of how you've been raised. What are the very first two words say this? Be angry. Be angry. I'm going to ask a poll question for you this morning. How many of you were taught growing up that you should not be angry? Just raise up your hand. You should not be angry. That anger is bad. Do not be angry. Okay. At least half of you are saying, I was taught not to. To be angry. In fact, in Christian circles, often people have been taught that anger is a sin. You get angry and you say that's sinful. Or that anger is unloving. That you would never get angry because that's not the love of Christ. So Christians have been taught, this is my my observation, have been taught to stuff their anger. Or and, and in that they pretend that it isn't really there and it doesn't exist. So you say to the person, you know, you're getting, you're getting mad, you're getting angry. You say, no, I'm not. I'm not mad. I'm telling you, I'm not mad. You know, smoke's rolling out of their ears, and you're going, they're yelling, but I'm not mad because you've been told that anger is a sin. Well, Paul doesn't say that. He, he doesn't say don't be angry. He says be angry in a good way. 
That's what he's really saying here. Be angry, but don't sin because of your anger. And, and you say, well, how's that possible? Well, for us to really understand this, I think we need to really understand what anger is. I think a lot of times we don't get it. Understand what anger is. Anger is simply this. Anger is an emotion. It's an emotion like being happy or being sad. It's how you feel at a certain point in time. As an emotion, understand this, it's not morally right or wrong. It just is. It's not morally right or wrong. When someone is sad, they feel sad. That's not morally right or wrong. They just feel sad. Likewise, with anger, it's a feeling. When you feel it, it just is. Now, one thing you learn in track if you've been through it, and if you're going to go through it, uh, you, it'll tell you that, that the feeling of anger, that emotion, is the result, that it's very easy to figure out, it's a result of the gap between unmet expectations and reality. That anger comes when you have expectations of how something should work out, but then real life comes in way below it. And that you have a certain expectations in life every day, but then you are faced with reality, how things really work out. And that the greater the gap between the two, the greater the chance there is for the feeling of anger. Now let me give you an example of this. You know, you ask your kids to clean the garage while you're at work. First of all, probably not a good idea. You should probably say, let's do it together on Saturday. But you ask the kids, you take a big risk, you ask the kids to clean the garage while you're at work. Your expectation is that when you drive into the driveway after work and you hit the button for the garage door opener in your car, that the garage door is going to open up to this magical new place and the garage will be clean and you'll actually be able to drive your car into the garage and park your car. And I know that's a dream, right? But what if you hit the button, the door opens, and the garage is actually messier than when you left. There are bikes and toys and garbage cans and boxes. Your expectation that it would be clean, your door opens up and reveals something totally different. What happens inside of you? You feel the emotion of anger. Why? Because the gap between expectation and reality is large you will probably feel a large level of emotion. But think about it. What if you opened the door and almost everything was cleaned out? In fact, it was cleaned pretty well, but maybe there was just this one box left right in the middle and it was marked Dad and Mom's Stuff. And you had to move it aside to park there would probably be very little anger, maybe none. Because you would realize that the kids left that box for you to go through, even though you needed to get out of your car, move it to park, you probably would have very little or no anger emotion. In fact, you might experience a different emotion. You might experience joy. You'll probably experience surprise. And some of you will have a heart attack because you can't believe the garage was so clean. So anger, that feeling of anger, is an emotion that arises from the gap between expectation and reality. It's a feeling. Now some people, and I think they are correct, 
would take this a bit further and say it's just not about that gap between expectation and reality. And they would say there's a, li- a little bit more to it. And so if you, especially when you went through Trek, pay attention here because it's a little different. I think, I think this other research is right. They would add that the feeling of anger arises when you unite unmet expectations with fear. We unite unmet expectations. The garage is not cleaned out. And I expected that, you know, that, it, that it would be with fear. And, but you say, well, where's the fear in a dirty garage? Well, not necessarily the fear of loss or harm, but something much deeper. The fear of not being valued, of not being respected, of not being loved, of not being important. It's the fear that stems from insecurity. We might think, well, if those kids really loved and respected me, they would do what I, what I asked them to do. Since they didn't do what I asked them, they must not love and respect me. And that feeling that arises, that comes from insecurity. And we can see this by changing the illustration a little bit. What if, when you open the garage door, and the, and the garage was a mess, and you started to feel angry because the kids didn't do what they were told to do, and in your mind... It's because they're a lazy bunch of no good, disrespectful kids that don't do things like they did back in my day. They disrespected you, so you're feeling angry. But what if the second you walked into your house, you open the door into the house, you're, you're stomping, right? You're mad. You find your kids, maybe you've got two of them, they're laying on two different couches in the living room. But wait, they're wrapped in blankets. There's Kleenex boxes by them, and very smelly garbage cans. Okay? They're obviously very sick. Well, instantly, you begin to process. The reason they didn't clean the garage is because they were sick. It's not that they disrespected you. There's no threat then to your internal value. There's no threat to your security. No fear factor rises up that my kids are a bunch of lazy, no good bums who don't care about me. The feeling of anger quickly fades away. So no fear in the equation, no feeling of anger. So the feeling of anger results from uniting unmet expectations with fear. Now it could be fear of danger, but also could be simply insecurity. You feel a threat to your person. You get that? So the feeling, because you need to file this away for just a few moments. The feeling of anger results from uniting unmet expectations with fear. Now hold on to that for a minute. File that away, because it's going to be very important. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. So let's look back at Ephesians now. So Paul can say this. Be angry, because anger is simply a feeling. But then Paul says, he goes on, handle your anger properly. He says, be angry. In other words, yes, it's okay. In fact, at times it's absolutely proper. Jesus himself got angry in situations. Anger is the correct response to injustice. So it's okay. It can be okay to be, it is okay to be angry properly. So be angry, yet, he says, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity to mess you up, is what he's saying, by letting the sun go down in your anger. In other words, be angry. 
It's human, it's normal, but handle your anger properly. So let's think about that. Handle your anger properly. Let's talk about how we can possibly handle our anger properly. And I challenge you to write these down. I want to give you four steps to deal properly with your anger. Four steps. So be angry. It's okay. Be angry. It's just emotion. But how do I be angry and process it properly? First thing is this. Recognize the signals of your anger. Recognize the signals of your anger. Here's what I mean. This is just a reality. This is just science. Your body, your flesh and bones and chemical system, your body will begin to react in anger before your mind ever realizes it. In a situation where you have unmet expectations and fear, your body, through its electrical and chemical system, will begin to react. As you perceive a threat, because remember, that's why the fear is the important part here. As you perceive a threat, whether it's to your personhood as far as real danger, somebody's got a gun, or it's that you feel disrespected because of insecurity, as you perceive a threat, your body releases chemicals that enable you to respond. It's really a gift from God. Chemicals that allow you to respond, and it's called the freeze, flight, or flight response. So somebody's a gun, you you have a response. You can freeze... You can run or you can fight. That's called the freeze, flight, or flight response. So you're, as you perceive a threat, whether it's physical, a gun, or it's insecurity, and I feel disrespected, your body releases chemicals that enable you to respond, either freeze, flight, fight, or flight. These chemicals result in physical responses. For example, when I get angry and we've had to do this over the last years, write down what are, your, what are your reactions to anger. Here's what happens to me. My chest gets tight, and my breathing gets shallow. So I begin to take deep breaths. Suzanne always say, what's wrong? Because I don't even know. I'm like, <sighs> I begin to take deep breaths. My palms sweat. I tense up. And matter of fact, if I'm driving and I feel a threat, like something happens, I literally freeze on the wheel, and I can't hardly make myself turn. And then I find myself, I talk quickly and harshly. Doom, doom, doom. It's all part of a chemical response to, it's, it's, my, it's my body's reaction to a chemical response that's happening. These are reactions to the physiological changes taking place in a, in a situation. So understand, this is not some spiritual issue right here at this point. This is chemical. It's the way God created our bodies to be so we can be, have self-preservation. So here's the key to continuing to controlling anger, this first step. Learn to identify these responses. And here's, I'm going to ask you, to, here, here's, here's the deal about spiritual growth. The Holy Spirit is the one who does the work within you. But you have to partner with Him. So like right now I'm going to say something, I'm going to say, learn this and actually write it down. But here's what I know. If you will actually learn it and write it down, you'll benefit. But if you just go, oh yeah, that's really cool. I'm not talking about writing down right now. I'm saying you spend some time this afternoon or next week thinking about this. You go through Trek. You go through Good and Beautiful God series that deal with these exact issues. You put some energy into it. And you think about it. And you process it. You'll find change happening. Do you just hear it and goes in this yard, out that ear? Nothing happens. 
So learn to identify your physiological changes that take place in an anger situation, which is unmet expectations and fear, and actually evaluate how you react in an angry situation and write down what physical responses you have. That's why I could write down, I could say, without even thinking, I could write down a list of all five or six things that are my physical responses in an anger situation, in a threat situation. Because I've sat for that last number of years and tried to evaluate, done an autopsy on them, and said, so what really, how did I really respond? Okay, what happened back then? I was angry. How, what did I feel? And you write them down so that you, for a reason, you'll find, because you'll find this, first of all, you'll find that the responses are repeated every time you get angry. Your body responds the same way. And your body will respond the same way to an internal threat that does to an external threat for the most part. Your body is your body and it responds to that chemical release in the exact same way. So if you can identify the responses and the feelings, then you will, then you're going to experience them again. What happens is, when you experience them again, all of a sudden, a light bulb goes on and you become aware that something is causing you to feel angry. You're going, oh, these things are happening. I must be angry. So number, I'm feeling the emotion of anger. So remember, your body knows it before your brain because it's a chemical response. So the first part of dealing with this is you need to be able to recognize your signals of anger. So you have to sit down after you have a blow up and say, what did I feel like? You know, all of a sudden I realize, I always go, the Suzanne recognizes it before my brain recognizes it. Why are you angry? I'm not angry. You're going like this. Am I really? You know, not like a bull, you know, doing it, but it's like, I'm going, oh wow, my chest is all tight and I'm feeling this. So the first thing we recognize um, that something's getting me angry. I feel, I recognize the responses. That's the first part. What's the second part then? Second step. When you realize you're getting angry, and now hear me before, hear me through before you dismiss what I'm going to say right here. Especially you parents with young kids, okay? You need to take a time out. And I'm not saying sit in a little naughty chair in the corner. A much more purposeful time out. Take a time out to evaluate why you're feeling angry. Let me explain. When you realize that you're feeling angry, you need to step back and figure out why. Because you also go, wow, the, my body's responding to chemicals. The freeze, flight, or fight response is happening. Why am I feeling angry? Because obviously unmet expectations and fear. So what's going on here? And you try to evaluate and figure out what's going on. Why? And to do that, you need to take a time out. Because you can't do it on the fly very easily. The longer you do it, the easier you can. But at first, especially, you need to step back. And see, if you're in the middle of a, com- of a, of a conversation that is escalating um, out of control, and anger is rising up, you're recognizing these things, or you're in a situation that's getting heated, husband and wife, parent and child, you're starting to get loud and yell, anger's rising, here's what you need to do. When you recognize some of those signals, you start going, <sighs> your chest is tight, your jaw is clenched, you're like this. That's all some different signs, that, and yours are going to be different than mine, signs of anger, you need to excuse yourself. You say, well, how do I do that? Here's a really simple way. I need to go to the bathroom. We all need to go to the bathroom, right? Excuse me a minute. I need to go to the bathroom. Or at least say this. Once you're a little further down the road and you're not so, so um, maybe uncomfortable with it, you simply say, you know what? I'm feeling angry and I need to step back for a minute and think before I respond to you right now. 
Because I'm kind of afraid of what I'm going to say to you right now. And I need to think for a minute. Think before you respond. You find a way to step out of the situation for a few moments in order to evaluate why the feeling of anger is occurring. What you are wanting to discover, listen, the timeout has a real purpose. It's a, it's a working timeout. You're trying to discover is what unmet expectation is present. The kids were supposed to clean the garage. And why is that triggering internal fear? They're disrespecting me. What a timeout isn't, and this is what some people will try to do, it's not a time to run away and hide and avoid the situation. I hear people all the time say, well, I just I don't like confrontation, so I avoid it. Well, yeah, we all do. But guess what? The situation, you have the privilege of just avoiding it. Um, otherwise, nothing gets better. You're not running away. You're not avoiding. You are evaluating. Am I feeling threatened? Am I feeling disrespected? Am I feeling put down? These are the things that are either real dangers, a guy with a gun, you know, or they strike at the areas of our insecurities which cause fear to arise. So we step back, not to escape, but to figure out what is triggering fear inside of me. And once you have some clarity on why you're feeling clear, then you go to the third thing. Number three, and here's, here's what only Christians can do. This is why some of this could be self-help for anybody in the world, but here's what only Christians can do. You bring that fear into the context of the kingdom of God. You bring your fear into the context of the kingdom of God. And I'm explaining. Once you identify what is making you fearful, bring that into the context of living in the kingdom of God, where this is the truth about living in the kingdom of God. I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. And I live in the stable, unshakable kingdom of God. That's the truth of the whole of my whole life. No matter what's going on, the truth is, the context of the kingdom is that I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. And I live in the stable, unshakable kingdom of God. Even if everything around me is being shaken, God's kingdom is secure. And the scriptures tell me I am in the kingdom. Allow the truth of the kingdom to reorientate the situation in your mind. So think about it. Apply that. Bringing it into the kingdom, context of the kingdom. Maybe you have a physical threat. There really is a guy with a gun. And I'm not saying what I'm going to say right now flippantly. The guy's got a gun. He's pointing at you. Bring it into the kingdom. You know what the context, put it in the context of the kingdom is? If I die, I'm still in God's kingdom. You're saying, you know what? So change that. Change it to a bad diagnosis for, for a health issue. The diagnosis, the doctor uses the big C word. And you go, oh my goodness, that's fear rises up, right? I didn't expect this to happen in my life, God, and now I'm afraid of what's going to happen. And you find you're responding. You step back and go, why am I responding? Well, I'm afraid. Why am I afraid? I've got to bring it in the context of the kingdom and realize no matter what, I'm one in whom Christ dwells and delights and I live in a stable, unshakable kingdom of God and that's true today and that's going to be true a million years from now. It can't change. Let's, let's reorientate another situation. Maybe someone disrespects me. You know, like my kid or a co-worker and it, it disrespects me and that, that strikes at my insecurities and, and I have expectations you ought to respect me and you're disrespecting me and, I'm, and that brings, stirs up some old insecurities inside of me which is fear, I'm not valuable Bring it in the context of the kingdom. What's the truth? God delights in me. I'm his child. And even if everybody else in the world 
doesn't like me, disrespects me, whatever else. I'm one in whom Christ dwells and delights. Jesus delights in me. I was making a role, a practical application of bringing it into the kingdom. Maybe you're traveling for business and you've you got to get on that plane and something happens, it's a flat tire or it's just somebody in your way or, or it's the lines are too long for, for check-in and, and you, you miss your flight or your flight's delayed. And your old way is you can explode. You can feel it. You can see all the other people going to the checkout line and they're expressing anger. You stupid lady behind the counter, I've got to get to Lolito. And you feel the same, the same thing, tight chest or whatever yours are, you're mad. Put it in the context of the kingdom. Step back for a minute when you feel it. Evaluate and say, I'm feeling angry. Why? Because I'm feeling like I might have bad ramifications because I'm going to miss this meeting. But bring that into the kingdom and figure out what's really the big picture. You know what the big picture is? God's kingdom is stable. And therefore, I'm stable too. Because I'm a child of the king, a citizen of the kingdom. Somehow I know God's going to work this out. doesn't mean the plane's going to take off. It means that somehow God's going to work it through, work it in my life and it's going to be okay. Even if I don't get the sale, it's going to be okay because I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. And I live in the stable, unshakable kingdom of God. When we place our situation in the context of the kingdom of God, what happens is our perspective changes. We realize that there is no real need to fear when I'm safely in the care of King Jesus. In the kingdom, I realize that God permits nothing to happen to me that he cannot redeem for good somehow. In the kingdom of God, I realize that God is always near me. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. I am never alone and I never need to really be afraid because I'm always right there with King Jesus. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. He's always with me. That's the reality of bringing it into the context of the kingdom. So when fear disappears by bringing it in the context of the kingdom, guess what happens? Anger also disappears with it. Because if I remove the anger, then there's no cause for fear. So bringing my situation into the context of the kingdom causes fear to disappear. That's how it works. And then once that fear begins to dissipate, what happens? I do my fourth thing. I choose how I'm going to respond. In light of the governance of the kingdom, knowing that God loves you and loves others and He, he is ultimately in control, then I choose and you choose how we will respond. And here's the deal. You can now choose because you have brought the emotion of, of fear down, allowing you to think more clearly. The fight, freeze, flight, and respite, freeze, freeze, fight or flight response is not now in control. Now you are in control and you can think more clearly. This process of recognizing the signals, taking a time out, bringing the situation into the kingdom, releases you from being controlled by anger and any learned response you typically have to anger. It breaks the chain and gives you the power to choose how you will respond. And that's when you re-enter the situation when you were in the bathroom for it. You re-enter it and now you can act in a very positive manner. 
It puts you in control under the headship of Lord Jesus. And you know what you come to find out at the end? Kind of wrap this, this whole thing up. This is what you learn. That no one makes me mad, sad, or glad. That I choose to be mad, sad, or glad. I'm 100% in control of the reaction to my emotions. Now some of you are laughing because that's something from Life Skills and Trek. But I've had to rewrite the last line. So I don't think they said it right. I think the right way is to say it. No one makes me mad, sad, or glad. So I can't say this. I used to say this for years. Brett, do something wrong. Suzanne, he's making me mad. That's how I You guys did the same thing. Dad's making me mad. My wife's making me mad. My boss is making me mad. This frees you from that. No one makes me mad, sad, or glad. I choose to be mad, sad, or glad. Why? Because I am 100% in control of my reactions to my emotions. I'm, I'm in control under the headship of Jesus. So let me tell you, based on the life of a guy who lived most of his life really mad, that's the truth. Most of my life really mad. The church world celebrated me for being mad. They said it was righteous indignation. I pointed it at the devil. I pointed it at, but I also pointed it at people I didn't, didn't, didn't think were on the same path as me. As a recovering mad guy, mad man, okay? Let me tell you, it is more fun to be happy than to be mad. It is more fun to live life happy than live life mad. Now, there's some short-term challenges. You give up some power that you used to dominate through anger, but that's not how Jesus does it. Jesus does it through love. It is more fun to be happy than to be mad. That, my friends, is what Paul wants the children of God to experience. That's what he's getting at here. And when, we, when you disfuse this whole thing, and, and anger doesn't rule you anymore, that's why he says, don't give the devil a foothold. He's saying, because when you're out of control, the devil's in control. But when you're in control under the headship of Christ, the devil loses control. And you get to live the godly life that God wants you to live. And then accomplish what Paul is saying is the one underlying premise of the whole book of Ephesians. That when you then live that way in Christ's likeness, we become a, a billboard for God. And the world looks on it. And he says this in chapter 3, the heavenly hosts look on it and go, God, you're amazing because look what you've done in them. The premise of the whole book of Ephesians. So, no one makes you mad, sad, or glad. I choose to be mad, sad, or glad. I'm 100% in control of my reaction to my emotions. I hope this has been somewhat helpful in helping you get a plan for dealing with anger in a positive way. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I pray this for this church family, for me and all of us, because we're just your kids. I pray for transformation in Christ's likeness to be so genuine and so real that as we put effort into what you're partnering, what, what you're asking us to do, that we partner with the Holy Spirit, that you're the one who does all the work, but you call us to join in the work, that as we allow the scriptures 
to bring transformation and your indwelling presence to bring transformation, that God genuinely what would happen is that would we would be like Jesus. And Lord, one of the ways we'd see this expressed is that our anger would come under control. That we would be like Paul's expressing here, that we could be angry because there are things in this world to be angry about. There are injustices. There is abuse. There are, there are things that, that, that Jesus, you got angry about and you get angry about. And God, we want to be angry because anger does cause us to act. But God, we want to be angry and not sin. We want to be angry in ways that would only produce godliness. And we don't want anger to control us. And we don't want to live as angry people. Because Jesus, we look at you, what we really see is a God of great love and compassion and wonder and awe. And there are times you're never defined by anger. There are times you got angry and you get angry, but you're not angry. And God, may not one of us be defined as angry. So Lord, just breathe these things deep inside of our souls today so that we could really experience true heart transformation in Jesus Christ. Make us more like you, God. That's how we prayed. That's how we sang. Make us more like you. Thank you, God, for your grace and your goodness. And everybody said,